This is KPMG's Investment Management Perspectives Podcast, and this is part one of our episode on how our asset managers preparing for LIBOR. Asset managers are facing a number of challenges and risks as a result of the uncertainty on the future of LIBOR. On today's episode of the KPMG Investment Management Perspectives Podcast, we are going to provide a LIBOR overview of where we are today and talk about what we see as the most important areas where asset managers need to focus on focus today to prepare for the LIBOR transition. I'm Chris Dias, a partner with KPMG and the global LIBOR solution leader. Joining me today are Mark Nowakowski uh, and Matt Giordano from KPMG. And we're also happy to welcome Lauren Davidis from State Street. Lauren, can you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Yes. Thank you, Chris, and welcome, everyone. I'm Lauren Davidis. I'm a managing director at State Street in our regulatory and market insights group. I assess the operational impact of new regulations for our asset manager clients, um, and I focus on the U.S. And then I also look at the impacts and trends of industry movement, which is obviously where LIBOR comes into play. So I work closely with our PMO team, uh, our PMO LIBOR team at State Street, um, and then also all our asset manager clients from a servicing perspective. Um, and a little fun fact, I love to paddleboard and be out on the water, more so in the summer uh, rather than the fall and winter. Well, I think paddleboarding in the winter will be a challenge, Lauren. Thank you, Lauren. Uh, Mark? <laughs> Mark, can you introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm Mark Nowakowski. I'm a partner uh, working out of the Atlanta office uh, remotely, as all of us are uh, these days. Uh, I have an asset management background before KPMG. Uh, and then since joining KPMG, I've focused a lot on financial modeling. And uh, along with Chris, I'm part of our uh, LIBOR solution team. So uh, working a lot with uh, some of our financial services clients on this uh, transition that's uh, going to go on for the next uh, year and a half or so. Thank you, Mark. And last but not least, Matt. Thanks, Chris. And um, so I'm Matt Ciardano. I'm a partner in our Boston office. And I focus on our public investment management practice, mostly mutual funds, uh, but also a little PE and hedge in there as well. Um, I recently rejoined the firm as a partner about three years ago. And prior to that, I was the chief accountant in the Division of Investment Management at the Securities and Exchange Commission. So um, for better or for worse, you're going to be stuck with me on the regulatory side as we walk through this LIBOR transaction. Thanks, Matt. Um, Matt, why don't you kick us off and uh, help, set the, help set the stage? What are we seeing from a regulatory perspective for asset managers around LIBOR? Yeah, sure, Chris. From a regulatory standpoint, the SEC has been highly focused on the LIBOR transition, and we've seen multiple speeches from both the SEC staff and also commissioners related to the LIBOR transition. I would say Commission dossier is very focused on the disclosure regime, and also some of the general controls that need to be in place to help transition away from LIBOR. OC, or the Office of Compliance, Inspections, and Examinations, has been very, very focused on LIBOR as well. On June 18th, they issued a risk alert related to the LIBOR transition and basically said that, you know, 
we are going to go out there and we're going to start examining folks. And we've seen some of our clients that have been pulled into this initiative. Uh, and I would tell you, if you haven't read the risk alert, you really, really should. As it relates uh, to the details of the risk alert, what they had what they basically said is this is this was a priority that was identified the LIBOR transition was a priority that was identified in 2020 and we're going to be looking at at registrants they're looking at some of our clients right now to really assess their preparations around the transition so areas where we've seen OC review uh, include areas around business activities, operations, services, and investor relations. And for example, you know, OC has come in and reviewed a number of our clients' plans that they've developed uh, to transition away from LIBOR, but it's not just the plans that OC is really looking at. It's the steps that the registrants have taken to ensure that the plans are, are working properly. So, so I would tell you, focus not only on your plans, but also where you stand in relation to your uh, transition away from LIBOR and your plans. So some of the areas that we've seen uh, a focus on is, um, you know, the firm and the investor's exposure to LIBOR-linked contracts that extend past the expiration um, or the discontinuation date, including any fallback language that's incorporated into these contracts. Also, the firm's operational readiness to handle this, this transition, and that includes any enhancements or modifications to systems, controls, processes, or uh, risks around valuation models. And that's a big one. There's been a lot of focus around the valuation models, and not necessarily the detail, but just, hey, we have these models in place, and, and they should work correctly because of XYZ. Also, OC has been focused on firm disclosures, representations, uh, and reporting to investors, which was really similar to the concern that I mentioned earlier around commissions OCA, very focused on the, what the investor knows or should have known related to this transition. And last but not least, uh, identifying and addressing any potential conflicts of interest that's associated with the LIBOR discontinuation. Um, and any issues with the adoption of the alternative reference rates. So those are the areas that I would tell you to stay focused on as it comes to this risk alert. Great, Matt. Thanks for such a thorough update. Lauren, uh, from an industry perspective um, and having to deal with regulators, um, do you have any insights uh, on what regulatory expectations are? Yes, definitely. Um, and I'll actually just touch on, um, to add on to what Matt was saying around OCIE there, the risk alert, because I know we'll get into some other regulators later. But um, so when that came out, um, right, just a few months ago, we actually saw a flurry of activity, probably a few weeks, I think people digested it. And then we started getting a lot of requests, right, as a service provider, because one of the items on there was um, to make sure you are getting uh, appropriate information regarding any of your third party vendors including the service providers, um, you know, back office functions, and then how those vendors are going to be impacted. So um, we have gotten a lot of requests. We have, um, you know, from our side, we have client decks we give out, um, a lot of information like that. I know other providers, some are doing demos, some have two-pager sheets they're giving out. So just to highlight there, make sure you are right talking to your vendors and getting that information, because I think that is going to be um, 
right, obviously something they're looking for. Excellent. Thanks, Lauren. So let's start off with a question on um, the state of readiness. With only 479 days left until the end of LIBOR, Mark, what are you seeing as some of the major issues that the industry has to deal with? Sure, Chris. Uh, and I know everyone's counting down the days. Uh, I'll start uh, answering the question first by maybe looking a little bit uh, backwards. Uh, so what we've seen so far is uh, issuance of debt, um, first by uh, Fannie and Freddie and the FHLBs. And of course, that debt is ending up in investment uh, portfolios um, uh, across the board. So that is certainly affecting uh, asset managers. Um, but that SOFR-linked debt um, in general is pretty transparent to uh, investors and, you know, it's uh, pretty limited, um, you know, compared to the overall amount of debt. We're also seeing uh, derivatives and a lot of those have been kind of testing the funding transactions uh, with maybe some hedging activity bank to bank. And so that's really had a limited uh, effect on the asset management industry. What we're going to see, I think, in the next uh, 15 or so months is really an acceleration um, that does affect uh, uh, asset managers uh, and other third parties as well as investors. So I think the mortgage space comes next. Uh, Fannie and Freddie, in particular, are no longer going to accept uh, LIBOR-linked um, uh, loans, uh, mortgage loans, for their securitizations uh, starting at the beginning of 2021. Uh, so that means by uh, the end of this year, over the next few months, uh, all of those mortgages, right, in particular uh, adjustable rate mortgages or ARMS, are going to be switching uh, from uh, LIBOR to SOFR. Uh, and that's a big uh, chunk of the, uh, the market, and there are plenty of instruments, um, you know, and investment vehicles uh, that, that have those types of securities. I think through the course of uh, 2021, we're going to uh, see other asset classes move as well, um, in particular all sorts of loans. Uh, and then that's going to have a, uh, a knock-on effect uh, on all sorts of other uh, types of instruments, right, where those loans uh, end up. So th there's really going to be a lot of activity um, that we see uh, starting in the next few months uh, and wrapping up into 2021 until uh, it really affects all uh, asset classes and instruments that are LIBOR-linked right now. Uh, in particular, I think by the second half of the year, uh, the Fed and the ARC or the uh, uh, Alternative Reference Rate Committee is giving guidance that really there shouldn't be new LIBOR originations uh, in the latter half of 2021. Thanks, Mark. Um, Lauren, from an asset management perspective, what, what do you think the major themes are, the major issues are uh, that um, asset managers need to focus in on today to get them ready for uh, the end of LIBOR? Yeah, I think there's definitely um, a lot of different issues, right, or challenges, and we can dig into some more of these later. But, um, you know, around contracts, obviously, what's what's being done there? Um, regulators, I know we touch on SEC, but there's a lot of regulators that, um, I shouldn't say a lot, but there's a good number of regulators that I think we're still waiting on more information from, right? I think more will be coming from the SEC. Um, I think there's still some outstanding items for FASB, so the Financial Accounting Standard Board. Um, you know, IASB just, the International Accounting Standard Board, right, they just finalized their phase two, I think about a week, maybe two weeks ago. Um, we see a lot coming out from the FCA. So I think, you know, on the regulator side, we are going to see um, more more coming out there. Um, vendor readiness, which we'll touch on later, um, 
probably term rates as well, wait, waiting for those to come. Excellent. So keeping on that theme of uh, term rates, um, you know, one of the biggest hurdles, I think, for the um, industry as a whole is the lack of term rates for SOFR. You know, corporate uh, corporate uh, borrowers uh, like to know their interest payments in advance. Doesn't seem like a big issue for derivative traders who contend with um, who contend that they can work with uh, um, calculations in arrears. What's the view from a, an asset management perspective, Lauren? Why don't you start this? Yep, definitely. So, um, right, the main ones we're looking at is right having a silver secured overnight financing rate in the U.S. versus you know, Sonia over in the U.K. Um, in the U.K., obviously, working on this for a while longer than we have been, I know, um, was it Refinitiv launched, um, you know, potential um, term rate to see what that looks like in just a couple months ago here. So, um, and I know ARC is, ARC here, is going to RFP um, for a term rate in the U.S. So, it'll be interesting to see how soon this comes because I think, right, obviously from the loan side, as you were mentioning, that just knowing those payment amounts in advance and having the term rate to be able to do the calculations, um, the, you know, accrual calculations. So, yeah. Uh, Mark, from a, from a, a broad perspective, um, how are term rates affecting sort of industry adoption? Uh, what are the bigger challenges uh, that? Um, you know, the different uh, industry segments are facing, um, and what's the best way to deal with them? Yeah, well, echoing what Lauren just said, uh, the term rates will definitely solve uh, some of the, the issues that uh, occur with SOFR, and, and um, the ability to have a term rate will mean that SOFR, at least in some ways, uh, operationally, which maybe we'll get to next, um, you know, will behave a lot like uh, LIBOR, um, which is a, a series of term rates. The, the big problem is it's not here yet. So when we get term rates, um, that'll be beneficial, but we'll still have some work to do to build, um, you know, the, the actual term structure of the term rate. So there's a lot of work. And the fact that it won't come until sometime maybe middle of next year means that, um, you know, some of the horses have already left the barn. Uh, we're already going to have a number of different calculation methodologies for SOFR, um, right? So there's um, uh, daily SOFR and the, the various uh, in arrears and in advance transactions. Um, you'll have to think about things like uh, lookbacks and lockouts and observation periods. So all of those um, issues that people are dealing with SOFR right now um, are already going to be uh, in play uh, and being utilized by certain types of instruments. So I think that that's one of the, the big uh, problems. Um, it does solve, I think, one of the biggest issues in terms of fallback rates. Um, once you do have a term rate, um, you know, there's at least the, the possibility that by the time 2022 rolls around, you know, and the contract needs to um, utilize the fallback language, uh, they'll all transition to a term rate, which you know would be a big benefit if uh, if it exists and it is something that is operational by then. Great. 
Mark, you bring up some uh, some interesting points. Um, you know, the number of uh, different uh, payment calculations, uh, settlement calculations. Thank you for listening to KPMG's Investment Management Perspectives Podcast. Part two of this conversation is currently available in whichever podcast app you're listening to this episode. For more information, go to listen.kpmg.us slash imperspectives. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast series to be notified of new episodes.